0: Hi everyone and welcome to another great episode of Murray Musings. It's Claire here and as usual I'm joined by my amazing co-host Scott and Peter. Say hi guys.
1: Hi y'all. Hi, guys.
0: And I'm very excited to welcome our special guest who I'm sure will be a familiar face and voice to many of you who've watched tennis coverage on Amazon Prime and BBC over recent years. The wonderful Mark Petche, the tennis hi, commentator everyone. extraordinaire and former coach of our favourite guy, Andy Murray. Mark, welcome. Um, Welcome to the Thanks for having me. Um, Scott's made a special effort to tidy up for you. And he's also put his Andy cardboard cutout in the background. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What what do you think of the place?
2: I've I've only got my kids in the background. Sorry, I didn't didn't realize that was, (laughs) I missed that memo.
0: (laughs) Scott's Scott's cardboard cutout of Andy is basically like his child, so it's probably (laughs) the same thing.
2: Listen, okay.
3: this, <laughs> this this, this car, right? This, yeah. This is this was bought in 2011, um, and it's still going strong. You know, it's held together by a lot of paper and like sticky tape and stuff like that. But it might fall down because. Like, why did you
2: get it? Why did you get one of Andy looking so happy? <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know what? Like, yeah, that's him looking ecstatic, isn't it? Exactly. Uh,
2: yeah. he looks good. like he's just won the jackpot in that
3: exactly he's looking he's looking pumped up there i'll have to i'll have to do some work and get another one made uh of him, <laughs> of him in his, more, his more regular state but um but yeah thank you very much for joining us mark we really do appreciate you uh you coming on in and um, well,
2: thanks for asking I me mean, you guys you guys are a good fun follow on on twitter and everything else and obviously um you know at the end of the day you know your passion for, for tennis and obviously for andy is something that shines through so you know, I, I, I love that. I love the fact that, you know, that, that he's brought people into the sport that maybe were involved, weren't involved, but what they ha- what he has done is brought, you know, just a, just a cross section of people that, that love to watch him and what he's doing at the moment is just amazing. Absolutely. Yes,
1: definitely. Um, let's talk about you for a little bit. Um, we always like to hear our uh, guest's uh, origin story, how you got into tennis, your early memories and standout moments growing up
2: okay yeah let's do a read digest uh, version both my mum and dad played um here in the uk they used to do a little seaside sort of tennis tournament trip during the uh during the summer and obviously as a kid i got i got taken along i would i don't want to say dragged because i i loved it so uh it wasn't dragged along it was taken along and obviously after a while when you watch your mom and dad play on a on a court all afternoon you end up picking up a racket and start smashing a few balls around yourself and um and that's kind of how I got into it. I didn't really start playing until I was like seven years old. Um, my dad cut down a wood. We were playing with wooden rackets back then. So my dad cut a, a, a normal size racket down to a smaller one. And I um, uh, I think it was like a Slazenger firepower. If you go, it was all red. It looked very cool. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't quite as cool in my hands as it was <laughs> in others. But uh but it was cool at the time. So, uh, so I loved it. And we, we were fortunate enough to be near enough a tennis club that, um, that, that a lot of good players, David Felgate, Tim Hemond's old coach used to play at, and a number. It was a, it was a pretty strong club back then. And it was, uh, well, it was about an hour and 15 minute run from my house. Cause I used to run there and back at times. So, uh, wow. um, and I, and I literally just got into tennis that way. And, got reasonably good at an under 12 level and obviously the passion stayed i stayed at school till 16 this is a super reader's digest um (laughs) thing just playing all sports from 16 i still stayed at school and finished a levels and um and then obviously i just decided to turn pro Um, so that was basically how i got into tennis stayed in tennis Um, wish i'd gone to usc in the states at 18 i was definitely too young to um to turn pro would have, would have been a good route for me Um, but after about three very bumpy years um, I managed to squeak into the world sort of top 100 had a few good wins against Michael Chang, Michael Stick, Pat Rafter, Alberto Beresetigi, Tommy House, and a few others Um, and, and that was it and then at 98 I decided to, to call it quits I felt as though Sadly, the dream wasn't alive and I wasn't going to win Wimbledon, which was obviously the goal for all players coming from this country at that stage. And I decided that I needed to go off and do something else. And, and that's how I got into broadcasting.
0: Wow. And so that just takes us on really nicely to the next question, which is about commentary and, and broadcasting. Yep. So you, you obviously you, you do a lot. What's your favourite part of the job and what's the hardest part of the job? Um, and second part is, what's any advice that you would give to aspiring sports commentators, like Scott, for example, who's just desperate to have his voice out there?
2: Quite a loud voice. We are sort of, desperate to hear it. I, I, t- I, tell you, I tell you what, turning up on times number one.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ooh! Fun,
1: uh, so, you know, maybe, you know maybe not. Maybe not the career for me. Who is on time today?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually got so basically I got into it like by default when I first stopped I got asked to coach on the women's tour by an athletics management uh, guy called Kim McDonald who was he was an awesome guy um, he was like one of those mentors I met for two years really sadly passed away far too young at 45 had a had a heart attack in Australia while he was down there but um, he had a big impact on my life for two years um, every time I felt like I had a problem he he figured out a way to to not have a problem even though he knew nothing about tennis and he knew everything about people and and coaching because that's what he did with kenyan athletes and and everything else so um, and in that time that i was with him we basically did a deal whereby any other work that i did outside of the coaching i would put back into the pot to try and help him out with the with the salary and expenses that it was costing him to have me and and everything else um, so I got a couple of I got a couple of um, jobs early on. Uh, my first ever broadcasting match was Tim Hemman versus Andre Agassi in the final of LA. Um, oh, wow. I was I was hopeless. Um, and I and I look back on that now and I think my content was good, my my delivery was horrific. Uh, there was a lot of uh uh, uh and uh, and everything else and but that was it's like my a draft first match. you
3: amusing. Uh. Yeah, don't listen <laughs> to the first episode. <laughs> it looks like
2: um, Yeah exactly so that's how i kind of got into it and then i kind of tried to pick up work at the grand slam so that i could be with the girls that i was coaching but also help kim out by putting some money back in and obviously there were some world feed jobs and and people gave me an opportunity so that was i was super grateful for that um the the bit of advice i i, I would give oh you, claire you asked me what i what i like about the job i i love i love um I love Hawkeye. I love Hawkeye. I love data. I love showing how quickly the chess match and the tennis match is being played at what people are playing at what Andy's brain power is like in terms of being able to understand where he should be hitting the ball when it's coming at you at 80 miles an hour. And I, and I love to try and obviously break that down. My favorite moments have been on SkyPad with the players at the O2 over the years when I've been fortunate enough to interview them and and try and get their insights post-match, which, I've absolutely adored um, from that point of view. I think like anything that the, the toughest thing over the years is preparation because if you don't do the prep, you get found out. Um, there's only so much backroom knowledge you have in your own head that you can kind of bluff your way through tennis matches for. So, you know, digging deep and making sure that you've done your homework is always gonna be something that, that will probably be the most taxing after a while. Um, the actual job itself is good fun. And the one bit of advice I, I will give anybody and I give it to my kids and, and everybody else is be yourself, you know, just be yourself. Um, not everyone's going to love you. You know, not everyone's going to think that you do a great job. Uh, but if it's the best job that you can do and it and you feel comfortable when you have put that microphone down or you've interviewed someone that you did everything within your power to make it the best that you can be, then then it's OK. And and to not be scared of having an opinion is, is really important as well. And, and the opinion doesn't have to be everyone's opinion, but it has to be right. You know, you have to be able to back up an opinion. I do think we're getting a danger in the world that we live in that an opinion is allowed, regardless if it's completely erroneous, if it's got no basis in fact at all. But people will say, yeah, but that's my opinion. It's like, yeah, but it, do- it doesn't hold up at all is not a grain of truth in what you're saying so i don't have a problem with people having opinions and i don't agree with everything that and people certainly don't agree with all my opinions but the reality is as long as you can back it up with with some truth and some substance then that's the thing that you can do and by being authentic you'd never second guess yourself you don't sit on a microphone you don't sit in an interview you know, i don't sit here with you today worried about what you're going to ask me because i'm going to give you an honest answer i'm not trying to project an image that I'm trying to protect. That is something that I'm not. Ah, I
0: feel like that's just amazing life advice, right there, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like we could, we could end this interview right now and just be like yeah. that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, we're not, we're not going we to. Want, but we won. Yeah, um, really, really yeah. enjoyed listening to that answer. Definitely, yeah, it sure. always makes that what you said about having an opinion and, and and backing it up. It's like makes me think of Scott a lot because he's just like of the opinion. Andy Murray's the greatest player of all time, and yep. he backs it up by saying because he's the, also one of the greatest people of all time, and it's so true. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> think
3: exactly. what can I say? What can that's I say? why,
0: that's why he's I'm... the goal. Absolutely. Um, I was gonna I was gonna leave this question for later, but I, w- I would like to ask it just now, just because we've been talking about um a bit commentary, what's the best match you've ever commentated on?
2: Oh, that's a great question. That's <laughs> a great question. Um <laughs> I mean, the most emotional match for sure was Andy in 2012. I mean, US Open. I mean, I mean, oh, catches me now, even now, sitting Aww. here. Oh, um, oh gosh, that did come I a imagine. bit the field as well.
0: Uh, Let me tell you something about that match, Mark. I was um, on the first night of my honeymoon no. because it just it, that that was when they played the final on the Monday because they yeah. been such. Terrible rain that year, hadn't
1: there?
0: Yeah. Um, so so we just we just arrived in Barbados on our honeymoon <laughs> first night, and I was like, I'm just going to need to stop you <laughs> right there. This is how married life is going to be from now on. Before before we even have dinner, we are going to watch the US Open yeah. final. <laughs> it was a good decision.
2: Was, it was yep, a good decision. It really decision. was.
0: Yep.
2: But yeah, that that match for me, obviously having had. You know, intimate sort of time with Andy in terms of coaching him at the start, having the two years before that being with the LTA, knowing what you know Judy and the family had been through. Um, you know that that was coming home down the final stretch in the in the first set was obviously you know and having had all the tough ones for him up until that point, thinking not again, you know not again, this is just not right, and you know it, it, that that obviously from an emotional point of view for me was was by far and away the, the you know, the, the greatest match that I've had the opportunity to to do. And I think my words at the end were authentic. I, I really, you know, as it was coming, I was like, is it going to happen? I'm not sure it's going to happen. Uh, you know, what do I say? Do I say, you know, how much do you say in those moments? And kind of, you know, that that moment just was me. It was just what I felt at the time. and. Um, and yeah, I mean that that you, I'll never I'll never be that. There's some amazing, there were some amazing matches, and there's obviously been a load of Andy's matches that I've loved commentating on, and some some really seminal moments with 2016 World Tour Finals and, and all of those things that I know how much they've meant to him. Um, but that moment, you know, you you were never going to get any other time that was your first, and 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 for him to do it in the manner that he did was was unreal. Yeah. yeah.
3: Definitely yeah. tough to beat, tough to beat. Um, yeah, on 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 that note, again, Mark, you're, you're doing very well here at providing answers that segue nicely onto the <laughs> question. Um, to be honest, like uh, some of the times we record episodes of Murray Musings and we have to, like, really, you know, crowbar ourselves onto another topic, <laughs> it just does not work. But at the moment, we're flying so. Yeah. Talk about, let's talk about Andy. Uh, and yeah. Let's talk about your relationship with Andy. Let's talk about what he was like when he was younger, early memories uh, that you might have of him. And um, I've written here, did you know when you met him, uh, this guy's going to lift a Wimbledon trophy in the future?
2: You know, like it's, it's, a, it's a really good question, like because... Did I know he was going to lift a Wimbledon trophy? No, I didn't know he was going to lift a Wimbledon trophy. No, it would be lying if I said I knew for sure that he was going to lift a Wimbledon trophy. The first time I ever saw him play a match live was in Craig Lockhart in Scotland. I'd flown up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I played lots of my junior tennis there. I played nationals there, won my won my first ever hardcore under 14 nationals in Craig Lockhart took the train home was great memory for me um, yeah. it's obviously changed out of sight in terms of redevelopment since but it was um but it's got uh, it's dear place to my heart and obviously i went up there and i watched andy and there was a load of british kids playing and he was on the far court and i was down the far end and i was watching him from a distance and i was like he was 16 at the time and and everyone was like i was looking at the others people said oh that's andy and i was like yeah and they were like why are you not watching like closer i said i don't need to i said he's going to be fine. He's going to be absolutely great. I said, he's playing on a fast indoor court and he's got more time on the ball than I've ever seen of anyone. And particularly when I'm looking around here, these guys need my help far more than he does because he's actually going to be okay. And out of that day, I still remember him playing at doubles afterwards. And he, he was so angry that they, I think they lost that he smashed the racket up on the, on the court. And, and for some people, they'll go, oh, that's his. And I was just like, wow, how much does he care about tennis? That yeah. This is a futures doubles that, to be honest, probably wasn't certainly going to set the world alight, whether he won it or lost it. But his need to win everything and mm-hmm. anything was yep. so evident in that moment to me that he smashed the racket. Whereas like most British kids probably wouldn't have cared less at 16 about winning that match in a doubles match. And he cared so much. Um, and I, I remember Judy and I going into a meeting room there and, um, and at Craig Lockhart, we were talking about his funding and, and she was like, okay. And she broke it down and gave me this piece of paper and, and everything else for his time at Casal Sanchez. And, and I just, I just looked at her and said, yeah, it's good. And she's like, and, and I'm like, and it's good. I said, it's fine. I was like, it's totally fine. It's going to get covered. I was like, he's, he's, he's going to make it. I said, and that's our whole job at the Federation is, is to back people that are going to make it. I was like, if that's what you need, that's what you need. I said, you, you know, you, you know what he needs. You, you, this is, this is something that you, 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 you say he needs, he needs, let's go, let's get on with getting him to be the best tennis player he can be in. And, and we'll make sure that that happens. And, but those moments there where I saw him and I saw him break his racket, kind of not, not that it would have changed my mind in that meeting with Judy, but it just cemented everything I thought about him very quickly. Um, and ever since then, you know, he's just been the same person. And I talked about me being authentic, but there is no, he, he's never been anything but who he is. And I love that about him. He had probably a little bit of a dip and a little bit of a question of himself after the um, Kenneth Carlson match in Auckland when he made the kind of semi-joke about there were so many breaks of serve and, and yeah. you know, it felt like a bit of a women's match. But which, which, by the way, the entire stadium laughed at and it wasn't a negative. It really wasn't supposed to be the way it came out. But when you write something like that in, in, a, in the non-context, it comes across obviously badly. And I can understand that. But in the moment, it certainly wasn't as bad as people made it out. And that hit him, you know, and and because he is so aware of, obviously, all the injustices in the world, and he's the first to put his hand up and say that's wrong and everything else, that that definitely, I think, made him think about what he how he wanted to be and what he wanted to be and everything else. But what I've loved about him since that moment is that he's never really hidden. He's never really hidden who he is. And I think a lot of people could have become extremely beige. They could have become very... Uh, risk adverse in in backing certain causes or saying what they think you know um and i've loved the fact that he's found a, a a place to be himself in front of millions and millions of people that will judge you on a daily basis basis as as hard as anyone but they don't know you at all and yet he's been he's he's had the courage in his convictions to be his own person and as time's gone by everyone has learned to love that about him. And if he hadn't have stayed true to that, I would just wonder where where he would have been sitting right now. But everybody knows that what you see is what you get and what you get is a, is a completely genuine person whose heart's in the right place.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think it's why he's so respected by so many people across the board. Like he's not a perfectly oiled PR machine and yeah. you wouldn't want him to be like that. And there are certain players who are perfectly oiled PR machines and they say what is they're told that's the right thing to say don't comment on this don't comment on that just give a generic line Whereas with Andy you always know you'll get a sort of a very thoughtful comment from him on issues and I mean it's it's that's one of the reasons that I I love him so much like it's just he he genuinely cares about the big issues and he really does make that effort to put a lot of thought into what he says and and you know that when he he, when he speaks on something you know it's because he's passionate about it and he genuinely believes in what he's saying Uh, and I think I I think the media really respect that about him now like early on he was just he got a hard time like you say but now people really do um, appreciate and respect what he says it's just what we've been saying all along isn't it
2: yeah and I and I think there's enough there's enough pressure on you to perform as a tennis player to then perform As I say, as somebody else, you know, in in disguise, in a costume, you know, when you come off the court to to keep people happy, that's going to wear you out far quicker than the actual tennis and the matches and and the pressure that comes with that. So, you know, uh, you know, I worry a little about Emma about that, because, you know, obviously the fairy tale after New York and everything else, it was always going to be bumpy for two years. It was never going to be anything other than kind of what it's become. Um, and yet, there's obviously people's, you know, judgments, and and I think because of how it was a fairy tale, you're supposed to spark, smile, you're supposed to skip to the trophy, you're supposed to think that the world is absolutely utopia. There is nothing wrong in the world because things like this never happen. You know, it is a once in a lifetime kind of moment. But subsequent to that you can't live up to that ideal cuz because life is going to throw you a curveball it's going to smash you in the face and you're going to have to pick yourself up off the canvas and have that perseverance which he does yeah but you also it's okay to not be happy it's okay to not feel like everything's great you know and and i think andy's he's found that kind of balance and and the roaring and the and the aggressiveness towards the box and and all of that is because he's he's desperate he's desperate to win and, and things don't go right on the tennis court. Things maybe haven't gone that right before the match. And and he's, and he's fighting that part of it that in, and to try and get the best performance out of himself.
3: Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what's it been like for you in that regard? Obviously you, you were talking about commentating on, uh, on the U S open, which was obviously an emotional moment for yourself, uh, how, how, how close you are with him and his family. Like, do you ever like sit back and think about those early days of you coaching him and like wonder, wonder how exactly it's came to this point? Like, is it like, cause I feel like it must be like, oh, like, you must sometimes think it's like an absolute dream that this guy that you, that this kid that you were, you, you were given advice to in those early stages has went as far as he has.
2: Yeah. Listen, I mean, you know, we, it was, and, you know, like we got together by accident. You know, that was no there was no great plan there. You know, he uh, you know, he, he basically finished with his coach in Spain and and, and obviously from, you know, he kicked, picked up the phone to me straight off the back of the match Said I'm not really enjoying my tennis. It's never happened to me before. You know, I don't know what to do. really. And I said, well, listen, you got the grass now. Let's get over here. Let's get on the grass. I'll look after you for the month. I said, I can't do any more than that because I've got too many other commitments. I said, but like, I'll, I'll take care of you because there isn't really anyone else that you know. So let's do it. Let's, let's come over and I'll, I'll figure it out. And, and obviously, things went pretty well with Queens and Wimbledon losing to, to Nalby in, in five. And then he asked me to work. And, and if I'm being brutally honest, that wasn't my plan. You know, I, I'd been away for two years, for eight, nine months of the year when my first daughter was born. And, and I didn't really want to go back to that life. If I'm being totally honest with you, I, uh, I knew what it entailed. It was very tough on my wife. Um, I didn't enjoy, I would traveled already. You've got to remember as a pro player for 11, 11, years, 12 years. Then I did another two off the back of it with, with the coaching. And, and then obviously even the practice weeks with them because they were from Croatia, I was away. So I, I, I was a little resistant, if I'm being honest to the whole concept of getting back on, on the road with them. Um, but you know, he, he's just got that way. And if, and if you want to see a greater example of that is just look at who he's like trying to help him, subsequent to him coming back from the hip surgery. Pretty much everybody that has, has been with him before has been willing to go back and try and help him. He's got a way of because, because of the authenticity of him, is that you look at him and you go, "Oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this." I still remember getting on the phone to my wife in, in Rhode Island, uh, in Newport and, and like being tears going like, I can't believe I've just I've gone back on the road, you know, like, you know, I've gone back on the road. I'm away from you again. This is 10 weeks in the States, you know, and and stuff. But it was like one day I had because then after that, to be honest, we gelled so well on the in practice. He was playing great. It was a rush. You know, it was just a total rush um and for me and you know the guy lived in my house he lived at the top of my house for for ages um you know we had discussions about his first management group who was going to look after him um you know there was just a lot of stuff that was swirling around um and and very enjoyable very uh, yeah just an avalanche of you know memories and and, and things that happened. but just yeah the, the but so many so many different moments for me and matches in that period that that were just great. Was he? Was, um, he what, 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 was he a good house guest? I was I just about
0: you. to ask. What's it like to live with? Give us insight <laughs> into <laughs> what it's like to be Horr- kept.
2: Horrific. Horrific. <laughs> Messy. Imagine what he was like at 19, 18, 19? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, they were close, <laughs> There were clothes upstairs. I think my wife went when she went up there. They were walking on their own. They were oh so crispy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nah. so, he was always, always. Very respectful though, and always, to be fair, would help. Always pick up this Always there was. I I don't want to. I don't want to give him too hard a time (laughs) on that stuff. His manners were impeccable in other areas, but you know he's a It's it's
0: so funny because when we spoke to Judy about Jamie and Andy, she said Mm -hmm. that Jamie's like impeccable likes to be really yeah. clean and that was the reason yeah. why she told the story about them playing rugby and jamie was like i don't want to play rugby again because you get too messy <laughs> like he just liked everything to be neat and clean and tidy and then andy yeah. on the other hand he just didn't want to play so he thought the coach was an idiot so <laughs> it's like i'm getting about being messy
2: <laughs> yeah and like he just cares about winning like he he'll be one of those guys that you see on one of those documentaries about like literally they'll they'll think he's a hoarder but he's not a hoarder. He's just in a mess. And he's like, I didn't even see it. I was too busy focused on trying to, trying to win this thing. Yeah, but there's like stuff everywhere in this room and it hasn't been cleaned for about four years. Ah, oh, I didn't even notice.
3: That, uh, that sounds a great deal like Murray Musings HQ right now. Really and does. on that note. <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: um, so from young Andy from those early yeah. days, uh, let's fast forward now to uh, Andy's year so far it's obviously a very kind of different um different Andy Murray that we're seeing now um, than uh, than those early days um, ever since really kind of almost like 2017 2018 like that th- that kind of period it's been a it's been a difficult it's been a let's 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 say it it's it's been a difficult kind of time for Andy um in in the last few years but focusing on this year in particular, what um what are your thoughts of Andy's year so far? Like what uh, what are your kind of uh, what
2: what yeah your if thought? I can if I can wheel it back a little bit, um mm. you know when I when Andy asked me last April to kind of go and help out at the NTC yeah. and everything else, um wow I mean he was he 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 was he was striving so much like he always does to to be the best that he can, um. But, I mean, he was having to manage so much, so much. I mean, amount of time on court was not enough. But, obviously, the hip issue causes you to not have enough time on court. So then you've got to do all the, all the extra work and, and the you know, non-impact work. You know, he's, he's biking in his, his steam room and his sauna to get ready for Tokyo um, and, and all of those things. But, you know, he couldn't he, – for me, he couldn't, because of the hip and the restrictions that everyone had put on him, um, rightly so, he couldn't hit enough tennis balls. So, you know, first things first is skill sport. So that was hugely frustrating for him, you know. Um, and and to search for his best tennis isn't going to be a miracle, you know. You've got to put you've got to put the work in, even when you're as talented as he is. Um the one thing that Andy has always taught me, um, and especially about the great players, not just your, not just your average players, but your great players, is to always listen to them because 99% of the time they're right. They may not always be seeing it in the right way or explaining it in the right way, but whatever they're feeling is 99% of the time is right. And he said to me after, and Jamie Delgado after Wimbledon, he's like, yeah, my, my serve shit. You know, I don't know if I can swear on here, but um, if I can well, yeah. We do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, it wasn't terrible. You made third round, and he's going like, no, it's no one. I've got no one thirty. I've got no one thirty mile an hour, and I used to have it, and I don't have it. And and he was and he was worried, you know, like he was genuinely worried. And I was like, geez, this guy's got a metal hip. He's he's just made third round of Wimbledon. And he's had one of the great matches against Otto on the court that everyone's just gone, wow. This is why we love this guy. It was like a it was like a trip down memory lane and reminiscing about some of the great moments that he's had, and. And I'm like, the first thing he's saying to me is like, my serve shit. And I'm like, right, you know what? He's obviously right as well, because that's how he felt. And, you know, so right after Wimbledon, he was also trying to change rackets, thinking whether he wanted to get a new stick to get a bit more help and, and everything else. So we were doing that. But then, you know, we got a serve coach involved in, in and videoed it. We, we talked a lot, did a lot of work on it. And he was hundred percent right. You know, you start looking at his serve motion and because of the hip, there was this big lunge forward. He was crouched. He was, he was nowhere near what his serve was, was like before. And everyone's got a slightly, a slightly different service motion. You know, you've got, you know, some people's legs go up. You've got deficiency sometimes with the push of the, you know, but everything's a bit different. But when you look at it, you're like, wow, this is, this, yeah, he's hundred percent right. Even though some parts of it look pretty similar there was big parts of it that were completely stopping him from being able to hit the serves that he needed to hit. So yeah, he spent, you know, two good weeks before going to Tokyo, like literally refinding his serve. And yeah, it didn't take long. I mean, you know, when you're as talented as he is, it probably, you know, he was by the summer, he was actually, his numbers were up on his previous 2016, which is obviously the year that he was, you know cruelly if in my opinion was when obviously things were starting to fall apart with the body because not too many world number ones have had to unfortunately basically stop because of what happened to andy and who knows when everyone talks about the non-top four and all of this you know that was andy's peak you know he was you know people need to remember he was he was number one in the world at the end of 2016 who knows what 2017 18 19 20 could have looked for look for andy if he hadn't got the hip injury so you know that that Narrative is BS because we just don't know. You know, everyone's had injuries, Rafa, and all of these, but no one's had anything as substantial as what what Andy's had to go through. That's going to fundamentally change strokes, change how you move, relearn all those things. So, so for me to be involved in that process to see how much his game had changed because of the hip, also makes me even more awe inspired about what he's capable of doing. I. I genuinely, I couldn't sit here today and say he should have done better, could have, you know, what he's doing is phenomenal to me. And and whether he wins or loses is going to really matter to him. But for me, you know, the guy's extraordinary. You know, he's extraordinary. I know, and I'm not obviously speaking to him as much at the moment. Obviously, I leave him, he's got Ivan, everyone's good. We send messages when, when and if. But I know Andy's going into Wimbledon this year and, and I also feel this is true. If he gets given a good draw, he's got a chance of winning the thing.
3: That's you what know. I like to hear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love that because my very next question was going to be his recent grass farm, which in our opinion has been great. It's been fantastic to see. Um, obviously there was a little bit of, and there is a little bit of a niggle with the with the abs. Is that right? I yeah. Don't know what I think it is. Yeah, um, correct. Uh, and literally, the question I had written here was: Assuming he plays, which he will, which he will, we're 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 we're, we're mentally saying that he will. Um, how well do you see him doing? Uh, do you want it, Do you want to make a prediction for the tournament generally? Uh, can we? Can I, I think
2: we- it's tough to do because unless I see the draw, you know, like this is mm-hmm. true. Yeah. One of the hardest things coming back from injury is that you just, mm-hmm. you know, like he can land anywhere. You know, that yeah. was the hardest thing about, you know, not being able to sort of play more tournaments and, you know, and get himself up because once you get inside 32, life's, life sweet. You know, he's, he's going to dodge a few bullets early on, but you know, you come up against Berrettini in the first round, that's a, that's a coin flip. Can he oh. still win it? 100%. But it's not what you want in the first round. It's not what Matteo wants, but it's not what Andy wants. And, and so at the moment with obviously where he is, it's a coin flip for me. So, you know, everyone, here in Burns got I just hope that the draw gods are, are kind and and mm-hmm. things work out where he can he can build a he can build a tournament. But when I watch him play and I watched him, you know, in Stuttgart, the tennis is there. If the body if the body is also kind to him, the tennis is there.
0: I feel like he was so unlucky in Stuttgart with that injury because he played so, so well. And I think if it hadn't been you could see in the third set, you could see the grimacing. you could see that he was in Pain of so you, you weren't 100% yeah. sure what exactly it was, but you could see that he was in pain. But the, the guy
2: promises going to the toilet, so that's not well, that's, that's true. <laughs> that is true. He, he, this is well, Did this is where when yeah. I get I always get frustrated.
0: The I always get frustrated when people go, Oh, look at him, he's he's you know, he's limping as he walks, but that's how he walks, he lumbers, he always yeah. lumb, you know, like he's kind of shoulders first. Um, but yeah, like you could see he was in pain in Stuttgart and I just think oh, such a shame because he was playing so well. If it hadn't been for that, I I am pretty convinced he, he would have taken that third set and he would have won. Um, it's, just, it's just like you say, it's like harking back to 2016. Who knows what, yeah. what 2017, 2018 would have held if it hadn't been for that hip injury? Because he, he was just, even with the hip injury, he was still going out there and grinding and playing
2: well, you can't. So, so well. Yeah, I mean, just look at what Rafa's done this year. I mean, he hasn't been anywhere near 100%. And he's winning. I mean, these guys, these guys were head and shoulders above everybody else. They, they weren't the big four because they were just mentally better. They, they were mentally better because they were better. They were better yeah. tennis players. They were better tennis players for the whole generation. And the rest of them, with all due respect, they are phenomenal tennis players. They're not as good as the big four. And and that's why Rafa can still do what he's done this year, even when he's maybe not a hundred percent and certainly didn't have that yeah. prep going into Australia. He's still winning, so you can't tell me that Andy couldn't have, you know, won, you know, five, six, seven more slams in that period when he's world number one, feeling as though he's wearing that, you know, cloak of invincibility, and Absolutely. and his body, you know. So you know that that whole that whole thing was just rough to watch because you know he he was there, he was the guy, and 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 also he's a guy that likes to be the guy. You know that's. <laughs> that you know so it would have it would have suited his personality Mm -hmm.
1: what i want to know uh is when you're commentating do you want to coach um and (laughs) do you restrain yourself from critiquing matches
2: (laughs) i i like to think and i'm sure that again like i said right at the start i'm not going to please everyone and i'm sure not everybody hears what i say i mean i certainly know you know, when I read some of the comments on social, like Novak fans will hear one thing, Rafa fans will hear one exactly. thing and everything else. But you can't, I, I think you've got, to, you've got to critique in a way that's constructive. You yes. know, it's very yeah easy to say, they're, you know, someone's bad or whatever else, but it's like, it's a tough sport. You know, if it was easy, everybody would make it. I'm obviously, you know, a prime example of that, you know, having reached just 80 in the world. So I know how tough it is. I like to believe that when I'm talking, you know, through all the different guises that I've had from a player to a coach on the women's tour, the men's tour, even being in front of, you know, running a federation department for two years, (laughs) that I have a healthy sort of broad spectrum sort of view of what's going on. So when I'm on the court and I'm watching somebody play, like, yeah, if it's just a bad day, it's just a bad day. And, you know, you just got to call it it as you see it. I try not to get too 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 down on people but i I like to try and say you could have done this or you could have done that i never feel i well certainly for the top players they're never they can always do something else other players are just not as good and 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 i know that sounds harsh because we live in a world that hard work supposedly is going to trump talent but it will never trump talent you know you know when it does is if talent doesn't work hard then you're basically screwed but you know so you know but if if talent works hard It's gonna be better. It's you you can't you can't live with that. I I played a hundred practice sets with Stefan Edberg, and I won none. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Do you think I didn't want to win one? Did you think I didn't care? (laughs) Did you think I didn't care? Did you think Uh that it didn't matter to me? Of course it mattered to me. I just I got seven five, I got seven six. I never won one. You know, that that that, Mm -hmm. that's not me not trying. That's him just being better than me in the big moments, even on a practice call. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. That's, That's fair. Um to to, to 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 jump back for, for, for one second. Yep. So obviously we're predicting Andy to win Wimbledon. Yeah. Yep. Um <laughs> on the on the women's side, can you see past ego winning um, at all? Like oh, um, yeah. uh, the like,
2: women's is the greatest opportunity of all time. I called it the the goot, you know. It is not <laughs> the goat, it's the goot at the moment. It's the greatest opportunity of all time. I mean, there are nice. chances galore out there. And Mm -hmm. yeah, eager on a clay court and a hard court at the moment looks unstoppable. This is still a surface she's got to learn to conquer. It's still a different surface, even though I know it's much closer than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. Um, Does she start favourite? 100%. But but, uh, do I see Brits having a good run? They should do. You know, they should do. I mean, because nobody else really at the moment is stepping up and making any kind of inroads. So, you know, I, I don't see, I see everybody on the British side, and I see all the the, the women players who are uh, entering that draw should be looking at that, thinking quarters is possible, semis is possible. I wouldn't be surprised to see some completely left field winner. I
0: mean, yeah. personally, I would just love it if Serena just came in and I was just gonna say
3: it. I would just a wild card. She deserves her, uh, it. We're yeah. recording this episode of Murray Musings. Uh, I think within the next uh, so like within the next ten minutes, I think or fifteen minutes, Serena is due to play her. Yep. Uh, her first yep. professional match in just under a year in doubles. Um, could could you see it? Could you see it, Mark? I feel yep. like
2: you can, right? I feel like that. It's... If she's been if she's been working as hard as as she knows she needs to, and she's yeah. been putting in the hours on the practice court, there is no reason why somebody as good as that can't take on the the players that are around at the moment and and, and win. If she if she can get herself somehow through that first week, um, you know, having not played for over a year. She's going to be confident.
3: No. Yeah.
2: confident. Yeah. yeah exactly. You've got to, yeah, she's got to just find the confidence. And, and if she can scramble through the first week, um, uh, she could win it. Yeah. I don't see, there's nobody there that I'm putting my hand up going, nailed on certainty to win it. Like eager, obviously at the French. This is, this is to me, Yeah, uh, seeds, are, seeds are virtually irrelevant. It gives you, gives you a chance, but I would say all of, you know, Harriet Dahl, Katie Bolter, all of those players that are playing right now, should be looking at this jaw, going, "Wow, this, this, this could be a career maker." This Wimbledon, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that's
3: fair, that's Love fair. To hear it, yeah. Um, final, uh, final three questions for you, Bob. We're all, we're all taking a question each in the final three. Yep. here. Uh, of course, mine's is a, mine's is a fairly, uh, fairly standard <laughs> one. Um, who, in your opinion, who, in your opinion, is the, uh, the greatest of all time, and why is it Andy Murray? <laughs> um, right
2: for you, Scott. I'm mean, gonna have to sit on the fence here. I'm afraid. I, I've never, I am a big believer and boringly so that it, it would be a little bit of a, 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 you know, injustice to some of the greats of the past to say that any of these players are the greatest of all time, the greatest of the generation, you can argue. But then, of course, you've got to bring in, like I said, about Andy's injury. Does it, does, you, know, you, you, you know, how do you quantify what does that mean in terms of missed opportunities and majors and everything else? um so has he been the most inspiring sports person you know to me personally yes in absolutely. the last 20 years 100 yeah
3: yeah
2: you start it.
0: calling it the greatest at that particular moment in time
3: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah we can do that yeah like 2016 <laughs> exactly. andy murray like um,
2: yep.
0: uh, 100%. okay so for me I would like you to build your perfect tennis player. So obviously it's Andy for the lob because no yes. one else can lob like Andy. But yeah. what about the perfect serve, perfect return, forehand, backhand, volley, and just general movement?
2: Okay. Um, that's a great, it's a it's a, it's a great question. I, I'm gonna have to pick, <clears throat> I'm gonna have to pick Rafa on the forehand side. -hmm. Um, I think that's definitely him. I'm going to take, um, and everyone's going to say that I'm I'm biased here, but I'm going to take I'm going to take Andy on the backhand. Okay. Yeah. I I I genuinely feel that shot when he's on is unplayable. Um, On I mean on a grass court, I've watched great players just be defending off that backhand. So, and he changes it with the same stroke, and and you just don't Mm -hmm. read it coming. Um, I am. Uh, on the serve yeah, on on the serve I, I, I've got to say I think Roger's been the best spot server of all time I, I mean he may not have the biggest serve but I would have to say that Roger's Roger's the best spot server of all time we are talking just men or are we talking women here
0: you can women. have women in there as well yep, yep.
2: okay so if we are going to well I, I will take Serena for the serve Yeah, oh
3: yeah take,
2: I will hundred percent take Serena for the serve. I I, I would take Novak and Monica Celo's on the return. I, I I mean, if we're allowed to choose choose one and another, I would definitely go for Monica and and Novak on the on the return of serve. Steffi yeah. would have to come back into the picture for for movement. Um, yeah. I think she was the greatest mover uh, of all time. Um, Carlos Alcaraz for a drop shot. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs>
3: Yes, I love that one. I love yeah. that one. Carlos,
2: Carlos yeah. Alcaraz for a, for a for a drop shot, and um, I, I again, this this will be slightly controversial to some people, but I I will go with uh Martina Navratilova for volleys. Wow, it's just that. about
1: to ask volleys. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Poop, yeah. Poop
3: that's yeah. fair. That, That's, is, that would make quite a player, Claire. Are you taking yeah, notes?
0: Yeah, let me. I was taking notes there. Just yeah. being being the diligent communications person that I am. Yeah. So <laughs> just <laughs> to round that up, we've got yeah. what a player we've got here. So yeah. we've got Serena for the serve. Yeah. yeah. We've got Novak and Monica Seles for the return. Yeah. We've got Nadal for the forehand.
2: Correct.
0: Andy Murray for the backhand. Yes. Andy Murray for the lob. Yes. Alcaraz for the drop shot.
2: Yeah.
0: Navratilova for the volley. And yeah. the incredible Steffi Graf for overall movement. What a player. Yes. Uh,
2: yeah. That's, that's like that's the
0: dream player. No one's beaten like, them. I feel
2: there's a few a few calendar grand slams in there. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> absolutely. And when Andy's doing the backhand down the line, that's just
3: oh, yeah. beautiful. Just, just yeah. man.
2: Even if he didn't pick up a racket for 20 years, that shot would be there. Yeah. Um, yes.
3: Did you it's, teach him that shot when you were coaching No,
2: no. But I knew that, that was another reason. Like when you look at like small moments that you realize how great somebody is. When he fell over and hurt his ankle against Thomas Johansson at Queens the first time mm-hmm. he came to obviously British public consciousness, yeah. um, and then he had to take the the week off afterwards, trying to trying to get it better and and mm-hmm. and get it fit and healthy. Um, he didn't hit his first ball till like two days before he played George Bastl and um, uh, at Wimby and. Honestly, he hit the ball every single time out of the middle of the racket. I mean, I don't think he missed it one on a grass and grass was still a bit quick about then, obviously. And, and I, that was also another moment. I was like, wow, put myself in his shoes coming back. Would I hit the ball as clean as that? Not a chance, not a chance. So um, it was also just another kind of like one of those moments where you go. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's, he's a little special. And, uh, and I think I've told this story before, but the, you know, when, the the semis against Shishapan in Bangkok, he um, yeah was down a set, and um, and obviously he, Roger was already in the final, and obviously you know for Andy that was that was huge. He'd already thankfully made top hundred that week, which was the goal of that season. So everything else from here on in was gravy. Um, and he was he was down a set. He was lost a little bit of rhythm on his serve. And one thing Andy does when he when he loses rhythm on his serve is like serve and volley. It kind of helps him get his rhythm back a little bit with his first serve. So he was searching for that. He was grinding. He was scrapping like only he can. Um, and, you know, so from from that, and I was watching, and then he got to set point. And, and Parador came in and, and hit a great approach shot. And Andy was probably just outside the doubles line when he hit a backhand down the line. And I mean, he literally had a postage stamp to hit it onto to hit the winner. And he, and he nailed it. I mean, nailed it on the you know, just perfect. Couldn't have hit it better. Wins the set, breaks the momentum, Paradon's like down. He ends up winning the third, gets his opportunity to play Roger, and we're back in the hotel later on, and we're chatting, and, and we're having dinner, and I just go, oh, do you I was like, set point. Let's just talk. Talk me through that. I said, like, how good a shot was that? And he like looked at me deadpan across the table, like you know, and no hint of ag- arrogance, no hint of you know like yeah i'm special he just looked at me and he goes oh if i'd have missed that i I would have been livid and i was just like (laughs) i was just like shit that's andy i was like he absolutely couldn't believe that there was a chance that you could miss that and i'm like i'm like thinking wow that would have been a career shot for me and he's like no if i missed that i'm literally snapping and i was just like okay that's that's a whole different level of of what you feel like you can achieve which helped me you know like andy's been amazingly educational for me as a coach and as a human and everything else because i've learned an awful lot about what is possible how people think what 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 different how when you are at that kind of you know level of your of your industry how you're able to kind of see things in a totally different light to everybody else and and you kind of you know people set the bar too low even for them they think oh that was know they'll say that's amazing everything's amazing and it's like no that's routine that's just absolutely bread and butter for them you know it is pretty it pretty is pretty amazing for a lot of people out there but not for them and you know obviously allows you to set reset your goals because you can go right you're capable of doing this let's go so you know that's been it's been hugely beneficial for me as well also particularly in commentary because uh, you know you don't get overly you know, you know, excited about kind of, you know, keeping the fans honest. It's like, no, that's, that's real. That's, that's basic for them. You know, it's, it's what they're expecting of themselves. That's what they expect, which is why managing that frustration at times is incredibly difficult for Andy because he knows what he's capable of and, and not being able to hit, you know, his nadir is, is, is tough. And that's been probably his greatest challenge in his career. Yeah. is bring it around. That is perfecto place to
3: almost (laughs) wrap up actually to be honest it's it's interesting that you say that like you've learned uh you you you've you've learned a lot from 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 andy and and from coach andy because like it's bizarre like because just recently just like of the of the opportunities that we've had like um to, to interview yourself and to interview judy it's it's bizarre because it's like like Andy, like just being a fan of Andy, like I wouldn't have met any of these guys. I wouldn't be sitting recording an episode of Murray Music of, of a podcast <laughs> dedicated to this uh, curly haired guy from Dunblane, like without him. So he's some guy. He's uh, he he, some guy, he's, like, he's
2: very, he's, he's very unique. He's, he's very unique. And, um, you know, I hope, you know, I hope everybody appreciates what he's pushed himself through to, to become you know, the best player that he can be, the best version of himself. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's a real paradox of a character, you know, like, it, you know, which is why you love him because he puts on a show, you know, he'll carry a match because of who he is and how he is and how he reacts on the court and everything else. But, you know, you know, if, if there was a person called Ivan McEnroe, this is your guy. This is your guy. This is, this is what it would look like. This wow, is yeah. This is him is he's so detailed orientated he is so diligent with eyes and crossing t's and his and his work ethic in the gym is off the charts you know but he does have that side of him the fire you know which unfortunately at times can self-sabotage you know but that's why we love him because he he does have at times that human quality that we can all you know go yeah i've been there yeah <laughs> that's that's me that's me yeah. i have you know, lost you know I've, you know you the red mist descends you lose the plot he's done a great job of pulling himself out of it you know at, at times and and he's absolutely right when i went back the second time you know y- you go there knowing that his best tennis is when he is fired up and he's ready to go and he's he's just being his authentic self you have to accept that that's who he is that's how he plays his best tennis get on with it don't moan about it you know can it could it have been different doesn't even worth worrying about that's who he is that's what you love about him get on with it and everything else but but you know he he is you know he he's that Such guy a good description but, uh, yes.
1: absolutely perfect never thought about that like i've that. literally
0: i've literally written that down i'm gonna, uh, gonna use that mark and i will <laughs> say to you i'm gonna use
3: it <laughs> That is uh, that's perfect. Uh, Peter, do you want to ask yes. our final
1: question? I have one final question for you, yeah. and it is uh, one of my favorites that so I like to ask our guests. What would be your walk on song when you're getting pumped for a match
2: to start off with? Oh my goodness. Um, great question. Um, you're walking on uh, Arthur Ashe,
3: and there's a tune
0: blaring.
3: Or center right Saint- court. Or center court, or- of course.
2: Arthur Ashe, um, I, I'm gonna have to say, um, anything Taylor Swift.
1: No, nice. oh, yes. wow.
2: Oh, would you wow. go?
1: Would you go for Welcome to New York? Uh, welcome, to,
2: it's got to be <laughs> Welcome uh, to New York, York but open. Arthur Ashe, hasn't it? Get oh, uh, yeah. getaway car feeling, sunny too uh, uh, I, I, I love it. I love it. Nice. You know, I did not know you were
1: a Swifty. Yeah. I am too. Uh,
2: I, am yeah. My kids, my kids love it. I mean, I think people think I'm mad, but uh, I, 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 I think, I think, and people are going to crush me for this. I think she's a modern day poet. Yeah, you know, I do. Yes. I think she's a modern day poet. Yeah, really? I like. Yeah. I think poetry has changed. I think rap music and all of that is mm. is modern day poetry and. Um, and I know people love to to knock successful people, but, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I love it. Yeah. Right, so I real
1: quick, it. which is your favorite album, Folklore or Evermore? Uh, I, 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 go I, back I do like forward. Folklore. I love, yes. I love
2: Folklore. I do love yes. Folklore. Yeah, I, I, I do. I put it on a lot. I've, I've listened to it too many times, but I absolutely love it. So, nice. um, yeah, uh, I, I really do
3: just a, just a, just a, like it is is andy a taylor Swift fan Why? do you know if andy I actually andy? don't
2: i actually don't i don't know um i don't know, i don't know actually i actually haven't i don't know what sort of music he listens to at the moment i try no. not to look too much into his car he still looks like a teenager try and stay away from it <laughs> I think it's a health it's a health hazard
3: that's fair that's fair <laughs> i love that last question because it always tells us a lot about <laughs> the person that we've uh, been interviewing but um <laughs> uh honestly mark thank you so much for uh, for your time today we really really have appreciated it thanks for and, having me
2: on you guys are awesome keep up keep up the passion keep up the love let's hope let's hope you have a big round with me
3: for sure absolutely absolutely one uh, one final thing that i will say is uh, also yeah. a ma- major major thanks to you mark um so uh we, we did we did post a video of it on our uh, on our murray musing uh, account uh, twitter account Um, Mark was generous enough when he was commentating on Amazon Prime just a couple of months ago from Indian Wells to give us a wee shout out at the time, yeah. Um, and a little interesting fact for you, Mark, is that you were you were you were so kind with your comments, and you were saying that me and 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 Claire and Peter would be be watching, ready at home uh, for for that match. I actually think we that were. all three of us, all three of us, we were. I, I was working at the time. <laughs> Claire was, uh, Claire was. I was, I was in
0: London like, a visiting a friend.
1: I was, I was working. But yeah, yeah. So we were all we were all busy. <laughs> I was at the working
2: in the time. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, that, that, that's so. Cool. <laughs>
3: what irony! <laughs> what, uh, what happened was that uh, like i remember because i was so i was watching match while running uh, running a pub quiz i was doing but i was yeah, watching it obviously yeah. on silent at the side so i was just scrolling online and i saw so many people were like oh my gosh you guys like oh you got me was <laughs> amazon prime we were, like, we were like what like what happened sorry? what was your pub quiz was it just about andy was it was, it? you know what, that night, that night, it could have been. That night, I could have just changed it all. Because honestly, like, I was in the middle of the pub quiz. I was like, I'm sorry, guys. I need to just wait before asking this next question. I need to just find out what's going on. So, Have you
0: ever seen Have you ever seen the episode of Gavin and Stacey where James Corden's doing the pub quiz? Yeah. Yeah. Every every answer to the question is Gary Lineker. Yeah. I feel like when Scott does a pub quiz, yeah, he'll Andy just Murray. come up with all these questions where every answer will be Andy Murray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's what Everybody, I
2: feel like, guys. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, an no, bird of Botswana. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, but uh, but no, and, uh, it generally meant quite a bit
2: to us, Mark. So we really we really did appreciate yeah. it. Yes. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Uh, well, you deserve it, you guys. You, you know, it's what the SWAT's Four needs. It needs yeah. it needs authentic champions and authentic fans, and that's what you guys are. And it oh, needs need more Andy Murray podcast. is what it needs. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What it needs. <laughs> one and only. I'm,
0: I'm quite happy yeah. with us being the one and only. To yeah, be sure. honest,
3: we're the we're the one and only for now, and that's yeah, exactly. uh, That's the way it should be. Yeah. Be unique. Um, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um. So yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for listening in to yet another episode of uh, of Murray Musings. It's been it's been a great one, and uh, uh, I've been Scott. He's been Peter. She's been Claire. And that right there has been the wonderful Mark Pecci. Thank you very much, guys. And we'll see you in the next episode.
0: Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye,
2: everyone. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you've been listening to the Murray Musings podcast.